Some cults are good, most cults are bad, but I'll tell you what really makes me sad. I can't decide which cult to join, if only there were a podcast out there to rank all the cults using some sort of bracket system like they do for basketball playoffs for college teams. It's madness, madness. We are the Madness Shuffling Crew, shuffling on down to do it for you. We're so bad, we know we're good, blowing your mind like we knew we would. You just know we're strutting for fun, strutting our stuff for everyone. We're not here to start no trouble, we're just here to do the Super Bowl shuffle. They call me sweetness and I like to dance, running the balls like making romance. They've had a goal since training camp to give Chicago a Super Bowl champ. We're not doing this because we're greedy, the Bears are doing this to feed the needy. We didn't come here to look for no trouble. We just came here to do the Super Bowl shuffle. Oh, I'm Barney oh, Rubble, oh, and I'm oh, here to say I, I love, love fruity pebbles, pebbles in a major way. way. <laughs> it's rap weekend here at Bad Super, Super Bowl and rap weekend. <laughs> it's y'all. Look. <laughs> Welcome back, Lifestylers. Welcome back, Lifestylers. Brian has a broken arm. I have a, we have my, a new car. It's just my wrist. They have a new car. It's one wrist. <laughs> it's just, it's the it's book fair week. There's so much. There's a lot of on stuff yeah, going on. It's, yeah, like we have missed digest. you. We have not meant to be gone so long. Sometimes life happens, mm-hmm. but we understand. You can't have a lifestyle without a life. That's right. I know, right? <laughs> so yeah, good, we're back here. Well done. Bad, bad to be <laughs> back to be friends and enjoying just enjoying <laughs> hanging out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of anything else that's so much has just happened that it's so all much kind of, of it. It has been one. just like weird life stuff. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there was like. I got to a <laughs> slow moving car slow accident. Slow motion car accident. <laughs> slow motion car. Slow accident. motion car accident. It, it was all like four way so slowly. Four way stop in a residential, you know. But uh, and yet, still managed to get a new car. Out still of it. managed yeah. to get a new car out of it. And well, God. bless her heart. After she jumped out of the car, you like you know crashed okay, into you. Okay, so I was on my way to get my nails, nails done. done. Okay, yes. and I the lady very slowly hit my car. It knocked my glasses off, oh. but but I did not get any passenger side window glass in my That's lap. Right, it had Be- all the airbags. Because bangs. the side, both side airbags uh, on the passenger side deployed immediately. Right, and which so in most I'm cases, just... and in this case, equals instant totaled. Instant yes. totaled, and uh, so I was getting out of the car. Like people in the neighborhood stopped, right, running out, yeah, running out. Like are, you okay? are you okay? Bar right okay? there. There's the daiquiri bar was right there. Yes, and um, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was getting out of the car. And my honestly, my first call was to French Nails because I was like, I gotta cancel my appointment. I was like, Tammy, I can't make it. I can't make it. Tammy, fill my appointment. I know. I was like, it's one o'clock on a Saturday. That is hot. I'm sure you have a walk in, right? So that was my first call. Oh man, did that? Yes. And then, well, and then she had put her car in reverse, and then it like reversed around the corner and into another car. Yeah, the lady had other problems, and the cars were kind of stuck together, right? Yeah, she punched a hole like in the side door. Yeah, door, and we try. We're trying to get off out of the road. Out of the road. Yeah, and. She tried to back up and it wouldn't go. And so she said, why don't you back up yeah. and try and separate them? And so I did. But she, her car was running, but she was not in it. Oh, yeah. And so it just rolled in this perfect arc back. all the way backwards and like down the little hill. and Past the daiquiri bar. Past the daiquiri bar. <laughs> and um, 
like bashed into another car that was parked on the street and I just watched it go by. I was like, oh man, my nails. My, my, <laughs> honest to God, I was like, my nails. <laughs> Shit. My nails. It's okay, I got them done that <laughs> Tuesday. God. Yes, her nails look fabulous as usual. Well, no, my this is a different, I went on Tuesday to get my nails and I think I was in a trauma state and I just picked this like hideous gold and I was like, this is the one I want. And I'm why like, why did I do this? Why did I do this? So now I'm PTSD. Aaron, you know nothing gold can stay. <laughs> oh, I know. Your fingernails are going to fall off. No, they didn't. It's fine. They didn't. It was okay. Oh, thank God. I know. Your tough, tough nails. My tough, tough nails. And then there was, you know, like an ice storm that wasn't an ice storm. Right. We've had two weeks with days off of school where yeah, the weather kept where not. nothing happened. Right. It would happen enough for them to call off school and then the next day would be lovely. Well, yeah. I mean, the rest of the day would not be yeah. lovely, but it wasn't dangerous. Not dry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it was just well, a yeah, lot. But then uh, we actually did get a huge ice storm. Mm. And, um, and then after several days of ice storm, uh, it was raining one morning. The ice sidewalk had been iced over for three days. Yes. The rain was on it, and it was like, oh, you know, suddenly transparent. But it was like, look, there's no ice on the side. Oh. And I broke a bone in my wrist. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. So we have, we're sorry that we've been gone, but it's with good reason. We're not just like, it's not just like hookers and booze. No. We have had. I missed things. you, but I'm not sorry. Ah, I had shit going on. He had shit going on. He's in a cast, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. But that means that we have fantastic stories to bring you. And I think Ms. Aaron is going first. I am first. Okay, so like we were talking about. Yes. We're not here to cause a struggle. We're just here to do the Super Bowl shuffle. Yeah. I thought we were going to cause trouble today. We not. Is today not the day that we No, it's Super Bowl Sunday is... Well, the we'll, day that we don't cause trouble. So oh. we can cause trouble today. So we can cause trouble Yes, today. we can cause trouble it's today. Saturday Sweet. night's all right for fighting. Thank you. Get a little action Fuck in. yeah, dog. I'm going to go to the tag agency and Woo! fight them. Hey! They close at noon. Um, <laughs> the class and tag agency. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, the only tag agency in Oklahoma City. It is. It's the, it is the tag only agency. one, because it's the only one you need. Sponsor us. Chico's Bail Bonds. Chico's Bail Bonds. <laughs> so, yeah, like, as we mentioned, you know, a lot has happened lot in the three happened. weeks since we last recorded, and all of that shit just like crowded into every corner of it's my mind, of our brains. I also interviewed and did not get a job, right? Yeah, during yeah, that time, all kinds of shit yeah. going on. And I guess um, all. Thank you. Leaving no room for fun research or fun research. No, no. I did only self recrimination. Try and cobble together Shady. some stories prior mm-hmm. to this. Nothing seemed right. <laughs> yes. uh, there was one I tried to do the man eaters of Savo, but it was just like too well known, and I yeah. just wasn't feeling it. Uh huh. Or it was a too much of a bummer. I tried to tell the true and brutal murder of um, our school nurse when I was in high school. Oh god, oh, that's awful. which is a really rough. And that's story. a personal story. It's a personal uh-huh. rough story, and I and like it also was like I'm in a bad place right now. I'm going to talk about this personal murder story. That's right. Our mom testified in a murder trial. Uh-huh. Everybody get down here with me. That's, That's right. right. So I wanted to come back with like a super banger okay. story. And I thought that I found one. But as I researched it, I discovered that it didn't have like the beef that we're all used to. Get our teeth into. Get it. our teeth into. Um, Delicious. But then I and then I was like, scrap that idea, and I started to find a new one, and wasn't able to find anything at this point, and so I went back to my original light beef Uh topic, and here it is. I'm ready. (laughs) Amanda, do you like painkillers? Well, reason. (laughs) Do you like traveling medicine shows? That I do. Do you like going to the dentist? 
Only if they give me the gas. It's okay to say no. No. Well, I have a story for you. Yes. <laughs> Today I'm talking about Edward R. Painless Parker. Ooh. Oh. Actually, we can just call him Painless Parker because he legally changed his name. All right. Edward oh, wow. R. <laughs> okay. But R see, is for Painless. So he he was named for Jesse Ventura's minigun and Predator. That's right. Which was also called Painless. <laughs> uh-huh. Fantastic. So that was like the light beef story. Okay. okay. So I was like, this Painless Parker story is good, but it's, it's light beef. So now... <laughs> I'm going to add into this I mix. Trust you. The history of dentistry. Okay. <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah. Oh my god! So, oh wow! You got a lot on this. Content warning for people who can't stand like yeah, marathon no. man levels of tooth annihilation. Oh god! This right actually now. does not bother me because as a child, you did. I saw a series of nightmare dentists. You did. You had yeah. a bad childhood dentistry experience. In the mid seventies, my mom put me to bed with a bottle. Yeah. Which rotted all of my back teeth because um, that's what it does because that's what it does when i was freelancing in chicago uh-huh. one of the freelance jobs i worked on was for uh building a website for the american dental association uh-huh. there's so many so many pages about baby bottle tooth decay and baby bottle like, rot uh-huh. it's like oh honey i know so many kids that have silver teeth in the front like all eight of their front teeth, are uh-huh. teeth. Well, oh, my, my it was God. my back yeah. teeth that yeah. rotted and <laughs> Okay, yeah. So Thank some God. of my earliest memories are going to see Dr. Whistler uh-huh. in Barbersville. Oh, no. All well, of the one which time you fell asleep. I fell asleep <laughs> one time. Um, She's just like, I'm so used to this bullshit that I actually fell asleep I, under the knife. Under the knife. That was back when... Was and they tired. did this for... I mean, kind of a while. They would give you the little shot glass full of flavored fluoride uh-huh. liquid, and they'd say, "Hold! You have to hold it in your mouth for like three Swish minutes." It around and hold it in your mouth, but don't, don't swallow, swallow it. it. Well, three I found minutes? out. Yes. one time it's like 1979. Okay, right. Um, Who the I fuck ever tried to get a kid to do anything? Did swallow minutes? it? Yeah, on accident, and then I threw up all over a bicycle shop. Bicycle shop in downtown. In downtown Bartlesville, I one of my earliest memories. <laughs> like the stoner like dudes who were like working at the bike shop were like, "Whoa, man!" Whoa. And mom just like kind of shuffled me out the door and I just uh-huh. left a little trail down the middle. I remember it was really it was a really cool old storefront and it had a neat tiled floor. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I just threw up. All over it. Erin was really good. She puked a lot in public as a child. I did. One I, of the things I admire most about you, honey, is your cavalier attitude toward throwing up. To me, because I would throw, I threw up if I got too hot. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just like a sneeze. It just clears things out and then you head off. That's honestly how I feel. It's true. It's like vomit it's brings relief, right? Uh-huh. You'll feel better afterwards. And I do I feel better do. afterwards. It's like really cathartic. Um, I have a... I, I can't eat. If I'm upset or nervous or worried or tense, I can't eat. And if I try to eat, then I give it right back. Mm-hmm. But I also am just like, oh, hang on a second. Okay. So- right. Mm-hmm. The other day, I just ate like just too much. Mm-hmm. And before bed, I was like, I got to get rid of this. And it's not, I swear to God, it's, it's not, not in a bulimia way no. at all. It's, I'm just, it's not. it's not disordered eating, I promise. My yeah. list, but I didn't make myself to. Right. Uh, later, after we moved to Oklahoma City, I had another dentist do her during the course of my treatment was arrested for, I think, like illegal gambling. Like we saw oh, it on the news. God. We're like, that's, oh, that's our great. dentist. Um, I needed four teeth pulled before I got braces, mm-hmm. and he gave me all of the Novocaine shots, which we're about to learn about, and I screamed so much that mom had to hold my legs down. 
Ugh. And now they have this fancy numbing they gel, gel yeah. which itself oh deserves God. a Nobel Prize Seriously. for medicine. Uh-huh. Where is that motherfucker's Nobel Prize? I don't Amen. know, but it was, it was just one. like gigantic. And then whenever I got braces, I decided that regular preventative dentistry was a priority. Like after that, I was I'm like, so, I am yeah. not fucking around I'm with brushing this business. and flossing five times a day if I have to. Always. So when, moving on. When Henry was born... Um, they like sent sort of sent me out of the room for the epidural, uh-huh. and um, yeah, because I want to. And our, our our friend Aaron, uh, dude, Aaron A A R O N was mm-hmm. is a A A Ron A A Ron. Our yeah. friend A A Ron is a union carpenter and was working on some renovations on that very floor at that very hospital that very day. <laughs> and um, yeah, later when we talked to him, he said like at one point I just heard this scream. From I didn't know where, and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" And it was Aaron, um, the other having Aaron. a baby. No, see, getting I, an epidural. Mm, I, I did, I'm not fronting like I'm special, but I want. I had natural childbirth, and I wanted natural childbirth rather than have an epidural. I was like, I don't Dude, care. The epidural was like nothing no, by that point. St- yes, I know, but don't stick it, a needle in my spine. It doesn't go into your spine. It actually goes like into a, like a little space. Mm-hmm. Sure. Listen, look. The space where the fluid is. The space where the fluid is. That's how it numbs It's like when you have a C-section, you get the pain on the end of the childbirth rather than the beginning. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. I should say. I didn't mean to derail, but I just give props to your ability to. People who are listening at this point. What appropriate. Thank you. Um, I love you, sweetie. I love you, too. I should say that this is the history of Western dentistry because that is what I'm talking about. And I'm sure like shit was different other places. It's probably a history of like dentistry that went way better. Well, we know nothing about. I don't know. We're going to be, first of all, in many of those places, it'll be a history of dentistry in countries that don't have sugar or milk. Right. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Change your need for wheat. There may actually be a lot less need for dentistry. Anyway, go ahead. So back in the olden days, there was no dentistry. If you got a toothache, you either went to the blacksmith if you were poor or the barber surgeon if you were richer. Uh-huh. Both of those dudes had the tools to extract teeth. And in the case of the barber, better um, manual coordination. Yes. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fuck. I do, I do small finger motions, whereas the blacksmith does big arm motions. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, also... The barber was also the surgeon, and this is like medieval times and yes, shit. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like first, the chirurgeon, right, 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 bleeding you in order. Ble- to- well, first of all, the actual physicians were the ones who were like bleeding people and looking to balance humors, and, and they thought that surgery was like low class and not scientific. Mm-hmm. What the I blacksmith didn't... usually had only pliers, and um, the barber had a device called a dental key. Okay. Oh, God. Which, it's like, in your hand, like a, like an original corkscrew handle. Yes. And it goes in parallel to your jaw. Uh, and there's a... Um, I already don't like this. Sort of like a, like a fulcrum on yes. the outside and a claw uh-huh. that went over the diseased tooth, which, as we know, the diseased tooth um, probably contained a worm because yeah, worms cause right, toothaches. Mm-hmm. Cause toothaches. I mean, they climb up in there. They climb up in it there. honestly may literally have. It doesn't <laughs> <laughs> It's like there may actually be worms in your mouth. At that point, um, yeah. Your molar has a tapeworm. So they put it in there, and the key goes over, and it's rotated outward uh-huh. to... 
pop, pop the tooth out pop. of its socket, but it also usually took bone, tissue, and other teeth, teeth with it, okay. leaving a nice wound. Big. In your mouth. Leaving in your mouth. Where there's no much, bacteria. None whatsoever. Situation. Fortunately, you died within the week. Listerine? To, no. That, no, no. <laughs> this was dentistry for close to like 500 years. years. Yes. If the tooth hurts, pull it out. I remember in Clan of the Cave Bear at one point. Does fucking Isla invent tooth pulling? She God damn it. Does. They not they her did her dad. John Delar the Wonder No, no, no. <laughs> it was her one armed surrogate dad. Okay. Don't let him pull you. Oh no. They, I remember they did it with a, a stick and a rock. Pow. Just, yeah, oh no. God. That I would be I, I think better that, that than the dental key. Uh, like, no shit. Yeah. Well, I also gave him something before. He- <laughs> right. The, de- the dental key sounds like that bartender tool that has like a corkscrew and a bottle opener. Uh-huh. Well, well yeah, yeah, kind of like uh-huh. that. Only like less sophisticated, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Much more painful. In 1771, a man, an English man named uh, John Hunter, published a book called "The Natural History of Human Teeth," where Aww. he, for the very first time, actually took a scientific look at the teeth, teeth? Uh-huh. and jaw and the fucking nerves right. and shit. It's a system. It's a system. He there he detailed the form and structure of the teeth, the jaws, the related muscles, how the teeth develop how they should look when they're healthy yeah how they Uh, look when they're diseased yeah he also introduced uh the tooth classification of incisors cuspids Ah, bicuspids and grinders right canines premolars and they do different things and like animal like horses only have flat ones right yeah yeah and it's really crazy too because i've seen um like way 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 prehistoric Mm -hmm. missing link kind of humanoid skulls Uh where they all have like flat teeth yes it's just crazy um it was a monumental text that was ignored by physicians of the day because once again did not like it they were busy with leeches and bloodletting to concern themselves with teeth they thought that dentistry was like what the fuck are you doing you might as well study buttholes Uh why Um, however, it was in this text that Hunter introduced the idea of tooth transplants. No. Yes. Uh, poor people selling their teeth. Sure. You will not oh, be surprised boy. to learn that this uh, didn't work. No. Nope. But it was also, I mean, I guess it did work, and it was a fantastic way to spread syphilis. I was oh, gonna say. You're buying boy, teeth wow. from poor people. And sticking them in, in the, the flesh of your mouth. In the diseased flesh of your mouth. Oh, no. But buying teeth was poor pe- for poor people gets expensive, yeah. especially when the transplants didn't take. Don't work. I know. It was much more cost-effective for rich people to buy a set of dentures. Mm-hmm. Body snatchers. I was going to say also sold by body snatchers. Selling, cleaned up selling corpse snatchers. teeth, sometimes clearing fourteen thousand twenty twenty three dollars a night. A night. Oh my God. Body snatchers. Yeah. Wow. Would make that much fucking money a night. Just is this still a job? The teeth. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like, uh, can I go to uh, trade I school? Know. Stealing, I have a certificate in stealing teeth. Dude, I have a skill that no one can take from me. <laughs> these teeth were set into, these are just for rich people. These teeth were set into hippopotamus ivory, uh-huh. which also rotted. Oh. It's, ivory is a porous material. Well, ivory is a porous material. Yeah, and you yeah, put it yeah. in your diseased fucking mouth. Uh-huh, and then you pour beer on and it 24 hours. And you pour beer on it 24 hours and then like eat crystal. Oh, God. I read. But I cannot confirm the absolute truth, but it doesn't matter here, that the reason women started carrying fans Mm -hmm. was to shield stink breath, their own, Uh 
and, and others their suitors uh-huh. and hide uh, their rotten fucking mouths. Uh-huh. That is something that never comes up in like time travel stuff. Never, never, it's ever. Just I saw horrific today. teeth. I'm uh, part of a like uh, weird thrift store finds, group, mm-hmm. and somebody today posted that they had found a. One of those shirts that has the entire text of like Peter Pan or Alice in Wonderland oh, yeah. printed in tiny letters. But this was oh, uh, Outlander. God oh, God. Ah. <laughs> oh, my God. I have a scarf. Jenny got me a scarf with Outlander on yes. it. One day. It's really That's comfortable. Right. But yeah, no. And I just think about like, yeah, y'all never have like pimples or rot- like a mouthful of rotten teeth. Just stink. So the era of cheap dentures dawned on Monday, June 19th. 1815, which is the day after the Battle of Waterloo. 50,000 men were killed at Waterloo, and that night, after the battle was over, looters and scavengers took to the battlefield to take what they wanted, and that included teeth. And suddenly, these Waterloo teeth made dentures available to the middle class. It put the body snatchers out of business because there were so many fucking like, Waterloo teeth. Yeah, I've got a fucking yeah. bushel basket of uh-huh. teeth. They yeah. would string them up mm-hmm. and sell them. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, man. Yeah. What, what the fuck? Cheap dentures available because of Waterloo, Waterloo teeth. Corpses, Waterloo yeah. corpses. Um, damn. So, yeah, there was, like, hippo ivory or just, like, wood or just, like, all kinds of uh fucked up, like, George Washington dentures. But things improved in the 1840s when Charles and Nelson Goodyear Ah! created a pink compound made from India rubber. Uh And um, in it, dentures both looked more life realistic like, uh-huh. and would last a lifetime uh yeah maybe didn't rot maybe didn't it rot and it was also because it was rubber it could create a seal yes with your oh, mouth yeah. and it wasn't two plates of hippo ivory connected by a spring uh-huh. and the of resting in your mouth yeah the spring was there to like keep it sort of like sprung enough so they didn't just fall out um yeah that's delicious Comfortable and effective, mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> it's like I would actually rather put yeah. a fucking tiger paw tire in my mouth. No kidding. <laughs> I think I'll just have the soup. Thank you. Right, right. Um, but say you did for some reason hold on to your real teeth. Okay. How would you clean them? Chew on a stick. Oh, indeed. For ages, people chewed on sticks or they rubbed their teeth with a rag. Mm-hmm. But there were early abrasives that people could use mm-hmm. by like licking their finger and putting it in there, including crushed clamshells, which sandblasted the enamel off I of your teeth. I was going to say, that just scraped the That's enamel right off so your Enamel is one enamel. of the hardest things uh-huh. in, in the nature. Human body. Yeah, in the human it's, body, in it's nature. Only your your by teeth survive shells. a fire. Yes. And there's a reason that dental records <laughs> are what they are, use. I think. But these crushed clamshells, which just rip the shit off there was also brick dust which did the same but sort of like took a little longer okay to rip your teeth off off. um or you could use soot yeah coal dust coal dust which um was not as abrasive as the other Uh two but really the thing is after you're filling your mouth with black stuff Uh your teeth look really clean when you rinse your Uh mouth okay the modern toothbrush was invented by a man named William Addis mm-hmm. in 1770 while in jail for inciting an anti-government riot in Spitalfields. Hey. Addis looked at a broom in the you. corner and got an idea. He drilled holes in a bone 
left mm-hmm. over from his chicken dinner and asked the guard for some bristles, which I guess you could fucking do back then. <laughs> was like, can I have some bristles? I the need gar- a drill and I need some bristles. Had nothing else going on. Nothing no else. Kidding. So he got some bristles and then he like bent them in half and poked them Tucked into them the holes and sealed them with glue. And that was huh. the first toothbrush. Okay. When he got out of prison, he started a business to manufacture toothbrush and got very, very rich selling them for six pennies each, which was only rich people could afford these yeah, toothbrushes. Yeah. The company, called Addis, was in the family until 1996. Wow. <laughs> and it now operates as wisdom toothbrushes where you can go and still get, still get toothbrushes. Um, They're only for your wisdom teeth. Mm-hmm. I promise we'll get to Painless Parker eventually, but right now I'm talking about dentistry, goddammit. I mean, Also, all, pretty much all of this information mm-hmm. comes from a 2015 documentary be- called BBC Drills, Denture and Dentistry and Oral History. Excellent. So we're just talking about like British dentistry right yeah, now. Yeah, well. This is like in no, in no way a, oh my God, can you believe this shit? No, this is like, this is a testament to the power of this documentary, but like... Aaron has been talking to me about this documentary like since at least 2015, and wow. it's amazing. Okay. Uh-huh. It's, it's 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 like it's because the documentary is that good, right? Okay, Isn't honest it to on, God, like, YouTube now it's on YouTube. It was yeah. always on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Where else you get good BBC shit? Mm. So. I feel like I can safely say that Britain's reputation for truly gashly gnashers jumped off in 1874 when Prime Minister William Gladstone repealed a punitive tax on sugar. Mm. Now, everybody, not just the rich people who could afford toothbrushes and hippo dentures, Uh everybody's buy sweets. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that it turbo-fucked an entire generation of teeth to the point that at the outbreak of the Second Boer War in 1899, the military had to feed their soldiers like a meat paste slurry because their teeth were all so bad. Oh, yuck. (sighs) Early feelings were made of gold. Yeah. Which they was hammered into the tooth, which was expensive and took a very long time. And it probably wasn't painful. No, no. <laughs> In eighteen sixteen, French dentist Auguste Tavo developed a dental amalgam which contained a small amount of mercury and melted silver coins. Just a small amount of mercury. In eighteen twenty six, Tavo used the material as a dental and restorative filler. Coins, coins, ladies. Mercury and coins. Mercury and coins. I would rather eat coins. <laughs> I would rather eat coins. But how are you going to get this amalgam into the cavity? How? Drill, baby, drill. Oh. The first dental drill was a long metal mm-hmm. spike that rested in. There was like a thing that you like hooked over your finger and held in the palm of your hand. Okay. And it looked like a little bitty bowl. Okay. That the the end of the spike rested in that okay. swivel bowl and you used your fingers. Oh, I'm holding it. And you use your fingers to drill and it topped out. this guy's listening? Like that. Okay. Just like that. Um, 15 RPM. Oh. And that was, I mean, it was. Well, if you had to get through the enamel, like if it was just an opened, yeah, big old scrunch, big old scrunch thing. I mean, agony, right? right? But then, like, maybe you just had to like fifteen RPM. This, I will say that this is the day when I could request actual opium. That's true. Can yeah. I just have like drink from the laudanum bottle before you? That get is started? extremely Thank you. true. 
Uh, later, the treadle drill mm-hmm. was invented, which got you up to 100 RPM. God, what a miracle. Seriously. Now, let's talk about nitrous oxide. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's my nitrous, is- nitrous oxide? Suit yourself. It's so good. God damn. I had a crown put on, and I'm about to have another crown put on. And they're like, do you want? And I'm like, yes. Turn it on, and don't turn it off. Thank oh, my you. God. Listen, Dude, whenever we seriously. still went to Dental Depot, you mm-hmm. could get nitrous for $35. But on our, like more professional and uh-huh. legit right, yeah. dentist now. This fucking prick. Nitrous costs $75 and they're, they're like, we don't like to do it. And I was like, God it's damn like, it. like, well, I like you to do you it, You should come to my place because they're just like... Yeah. yeah. But it's it, it's actually fine at this new yeah. place because they have like the fucking... The gel. The, the gel, gel yeah. shit. And, and as you know, I'm no longer nervous about going to the dentist because uh-huh. I know that the worst has already happened, happened to me. Right. Yeah, it's so true. So nitrous true. was discovered in 1772 by English chemist Joseph Priestley. He published his discovery three years later in Experiments and Observations on Different Kinds of Air. <laughs> <laughs> In which the gas, which he considered to be an air, was described as being colorless, sweetish, and of a slightly agreeable odor. It does. It's just like... Oh but God. he didn't like he didn't really do anything with it. He just discovered this, mm-hmm. its properties. Um, another chem- chemist named Humphrey Davy found out about nitrous, and he... Got a nasty idea. Uh-oh. See, Humphrey was hot shit and had lots of cool parties with playwrights, poets, doctors, and scientists. Hell yeah! And in 1799, he invented people to invited people to his lab for a party. But instead of offering drinks, he passed around a green silk bag full of nitrous. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> like hot wow. shots for everyone, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. At these parties, because you know there was more than one, Davy then asked his re- guests to record their experiences. Peter Mark Roger of the Thesaurus Roger yes. Yes. wrote, I seemed to lose the sense of my own weight and imagined I was sinking into the ground. <laughs> ground, earth, <It's> soil. <laughs> Thoughts rushed like day. a torrent through my mind as if their velocity had been suddenly accelerated by the bursting of a barrier which had before retained them in a natural, equable course. <laughs> Another unnamed party goer said, I felt like the sound of a harp. Yes, yes, Samuel Coleridge. <laughs> that Samuel Coleridge <laughs> describes a state of calm ecstasy, like returning from a walk in the snow into a warm room. <laughs> By the 1840s, <laughs> laughing gas parties were all the rage, say, all the rage in both yes. Europe and in the United States. In 1844, Horace Wells, a dentist from Connecticut, first experienced the effects of nitrous, first observed uh-huh. the effects of nitrous when he and his wife Elizabeth attended a demonstration by Gardner Quincy Colts, Colton billed in the Hartford Courant as a grand exhibition of the effects by producing, produced by inhaling nitrous oxide, exhilarating or laughing gas. <laughs> During the demonstration, Colton called people to the stage to, like, bust with the whippet. Right, right. For the audience's delay. Uh, Wells and the audience noticed that one of the lucky performers... One of the lucky performers? ...had just, like, gashed open his leg while, like, jumping off a bench. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God! And when the guy went back to his seat, like, blood was filling his sock, but he was like, no signs of pain! Yeah. Whatever! And then he, he... They were like... Do you know what happened? He's like, I don't remember anything that happened, but like my legs are covered in scraps and bruises. Sorry. Christ. I know you get, if you uh, 
childbirth in England, you get gas and air, which is oxygen and nitrous. Which is nitrous. Yeah, that's what they get oh, at the dentist. Yeah, yeah. It's not just like straight. It's, no, no, yeah, but you get that automatically if you're giving birth Fuck in Britain. Yeah, the dude. thing that fucking yes. blew my mind about because like I didn't I didn't have a feeling until like much later in life, and it turned out I needed a lot of them. But um, like the thing that blew me away about nitrous was like how much it made me not care what was happening to my That's own body. Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, it was like, it was so specific. That mm-hmm. feeling was so specific. It was just it's like, like, it's all right. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, I had to have a molar yanked out a while back and it was just like, oh yeah, that's cool. Oh, okay. That's cool. And the point where this, like this, you know, like incredibly pricey, you know, oral surgeon dude who uh, turned out had like, pretty serious cancer at the time but that's oh. a side note um yeah, yeah i, I hope i hope he was having nitrous as much as he could well i certainly hope he was too because mm. uh, yeah no but uh, yeah yanked out my I mean, he was just like he was like leveraging himself against me and uh-huh. I, was just, and I was like oh no it was like oh there's still some fragments in there uh, like, like that's oh, no, cool buddy i know i was just like oh i that's for you dude. I do what I your do. work is so hard on this I, do what i can do to be supportive to you <laughs> Well, you get it? Keep, it? keep going, man. I know you could do it. You're dude. You're a veteran. This is this. You've done this your whole life. So the next day, after seeing this guy fuck up his leg, Wells conducted an experiment. He half nitrous and had a colleague pull his tooth. Oh, no, no pain. He went on to use nitrous on 12 other patients in his office, but Hartford, Connecticut didn't have a hospital, so Wells took his nitrous demo on the road. On the road. Hell yeah. In 1845, he gave a demonstration for medical students, but the patient cried out in pain because the gas wasn't administered properly. Hmm. Excuse me. And what it was was the patient, speaking of gas, um... (laughs) The the pa- patient uh, demonstrator mm-hmm. uh, subject yeah was an obese alcoholic oh and due oh, wow. to that he needed a way fucking bigger dose, dose both his realize. weight and the alcoholism uh-huh. oh damn um so he did cry out in pain but the, he also said he didn't remember anything yeah. but nevertheless it tanked Wells yeah, reputation sorry. oh man and nitrous went back to being a party game um god damn it in that period after nitrous tank there was like another guy that like found the nitrous thing uh-huh. and worked with it uh, but this isn't nitrous nitrous as I have written though it would be a lot cooler if it was and I said though if we were incoherent during the New Year's Eve episode wait until you get a load wait of this wait until you got a load of that <laughs> what, ha- what happened was like nitrous went and then the dentistry and surgery went to ether and chloroform right but yeah. they found out that those were both highly fucking flammable yes. and would kill you would when kill you're you. dribbling yeah. it on a sponge uh-huh. there's absolutely no control over right. it and, it's easy and so they eventually oh, did make their way back around to nitrous anyway it's time to introduce painless parker painless parker Edgar Randolph Parker was born in Tynemouth Creek, New Brunswick in 1872. Uh, from an early age, he shows signs of a true entrepreneurial spirit. Excellent. Oh, wow. When he was seven, he sold the school playground to a classmate for 20 cents. <laughs> totally <laughs> When he was nine, he bartered with a neighbor for a hen, eggs, and a chicken coop with plans to become a chicken farmer. <laughs> he often fakes sick to bunk off school. 
at one point he inquired a horse and wagon and began to sell trinkets and his dad was like no <laughs> dad uh, his dad sold the wagon and in protest Edgar ran away and signed on to one of his uncle's ships heading for Barbados you know what oh fuck you he entering the sugar train he right. fucking left he injured himself and wound up in a hospital in Buenos Aires and during this time he started to notice and study like what the doctors were doing mm-hmm. uh, when he got out he of the hospital he decided to become a doctor because I guess Why you could fucking do that could, but his yeah. mother was super Christian like probably Christian science but I don't know <sighs> but she didn't believe in medicine mm. and so he became a dentist that sounds like a her problem well what is it is also medicine it talks about his his mother he had seen his mother for years suffer from an impacted molar so he enrolled in the New York College of Dentistry in 1889. Shortly after admission, he set up a door-to-door dentistry practice, but this was a violation of school property policy because he like wasn't actually a dentist. Dude, you just he paid for tea and he was expelled. No worries. <laughs> this say, and that stopped him. Wait no, a the same year he enrolled in the Philadelphia Dental College, which later became part of Temple University. Okay, he graduated in 1892 at the age of 20 but only because he begged the dean to let him graduate because his grades were shit and the dean a chump said okay Okay. all right so then parker took his diploma upon which only like asterisks were printed like the whole thing (laughs) and he went back to canada to start his practice now i don't know if this is simply a canadian thing yeah but at the time (laughs) It was considered unethical to solicit patients. Okay. What in the goddamn Aspiring hell? dentists could join professional clubs and be like active in the dental community, really? but like straight up like advertising and asking people to it's be your patients. Day class A. Unethical. Oh, okay. Not just tacky. Unethical. Unethical. Much more so, ethical to let the industry police itself. Wait a second. Yeah. Parker sat on his hands for like six weeks without having a single patient. And then he said, God damn fuck it. this shit. So, I believe I would be unethical. In, in exchange for a new set of dentures, Parker hired a sign maker for a giant placard ah. advertising painless Parker. He set up shop on a street corner and sort of like preached to people about like the horrors of tooth decay yes. in order to attract customers. It's, he's not wrong. He offered painless uh, promised painless extractions and offered $5 if the patient wasn't satisfied. Ooh. Painless? How? How? That's an easy answer. It's cocaine! Yay! <laughs> Parker mixed it with water to create a solution called hydrocaine, like lanocaine. Like lanocaine. And he used an early hypodermic to inject it into the troubled area. And let me tell that you That part would hurt. That early hypodermic looked like the interior of like a Bic pen. I mean... Yes. <laughs> I have to the point where we're like, maybe the 15 RPM drill is no, like not as bad. Know. I don't know. But it worked. And soon Parker was making bank as a traveling dentist charging 50 cents a tooth. Uh-huh. He'd go to the house. He'd borrow, like, the family rocking chair mm-hmm. so and just here. do it on the porch. Parker did this for a while. I couldn't find yeah. how long. Um, he Before he moved his family to New York, where he struggled to build a practice. Now, remember... It's not enough porches. <laughs> this was pre preventative dentistry people only went to the mouth torturer if they needed rotten all the way brutal extraction and even then they weren't so keen and so it was hard to like build a practice especially in new york 
Right, because now it's like, I have a dentist because we go every six months and get our teeth cleaned. Right. Yeah, Sometimes exactly. I need a crown. Uh-huh. Yeah. One day he met a man named William Beebe, who, as I found out, is not the same William Beebe who was like an early oceanographer. I was going to say, there's also the venerable... Not, That's not the venerable Beebe. Anyway, um, <laughs> Beebe had formerly worked with P.T. Barnum. Excellent. And he encouraged Parker to take his show on the on road. On the road. Uh, Thus, the Parker Dental Circus was born. Oh, oh man. wow. One poster advertised a free open-air concert with vocal and instrumental music, teeth extracted free of charge without pain, by a particular <laughs> method of his own. Fuck. This is a quote from the poster. Okay, okay. By a particular method of his own with whips, swords, spoons, and instruments of his own invention. Okay, hang on. Oh. <laughs> I don't need whips and swords for my tooth extraction. It's a circus. Oh, okay. In the circus, yes. It's actually like a circus. Like, there's like circus things going on and extractions. Also, like, until it's my turn, I can watch the Correct. juggling guy. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah. So this, this is like pretty much the equivalent of the... Uh, TV that's just constantly running the Home and Garden Network. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hate that TV. The right up above you, they at least ask. Uh, or the TV that comes right down, my dentist is like, "What do you want to watch?" And I was like, "Put it on Turner Classic Movie." Oh, we don't have a TV. Oh my it's god, yeah, like, no. Uh, it's like satellite greatest hits of the fifties and sixties, yeah. which is okay. fine. There's like a window. There's like yeah, there is a window bush. that looks out okay. onto. It's a nice dentist. Yeah. Yeah, that's um. Right. What's up, Dr. Kirby? Hey. Hey, Dr. Uh, Kirby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this amusing, interesting, amazing, and entertaining spectacle, mo- yeah, more quotes, uh, yes. started off with Parker delivering a few facts about oral hygiene. <laughs> uh, he then invited a volunteer uh, from the crowd up to the stage, which was a horse-drawn wagon with a dentist chair bolted to Hell it. Hell yes. The volunteer was, of course, a stooge. A plant. Uh-huh. Uh, Parker would pretend <laughs> to pull out a molar from the stooge's mouth, at which time the patient would declare the process painless when a real patient would climb up onto the horse-drawn wagon for the procedure they were given like whiskey Mm -hmm. or maybe like a cocaine rinse Uh i'm not sure but a band of musicians would start playing their instruments full blast which drown out the screams parker then deposited the full pulled teeth in a bucket with hundreds of other teeth. Tang. Oh, but they God. then sold to the boars. Right. <laughs> one one day at the circus, he claimed to have pulled 357 teeth, which he strung up and wore as a necklace. Nice. Parker was, Where is it now? I will tell you okay, cool. in here. Parker was sued many times for false claims and a lack of ethics. <laughs> what have? In 1930, the Dental Board of California said he could not advertise himself as painless for false advertising reasons, so he legally changed his name to Painless, painless. Parker. Just says it right. It's my name. Oh, his wow. colleagues in the American and the American Dental Association detested him, calling him a menace to the dignity of the profession. <laughs> like dentists, whatever. Shh. Nevertheless, his business thrived. Um, he got the circus. Eventually, yeah. he did give up outdoor demonstrations due to, like, hygiene issues. Yeah, there's that. But he remained a showman. He treated a hippo called Lucas, uh, performed at a theme park in Long Beach, and was snapped with celebrities, all the while advertising relentlessly. Painless. He hired assistants and eventually 28 West Coast dental offices, employing 70 dentists. Mm-hmm. And his clinics hawked dental services as well as a line of dental care products such as mouthwashes, toothpaste, powders for brushing at home. Okay. So he 
was a huckster. Yes. But he did make yeah. major contributions to are real things. general dentistry. He believed in expensive health care. One of the things is about his offices. He's like, there are no fancy rugs. Mm-hmm. These are not fancy offices. Wow. He gave free consultations. Nice. Uh, he gave out vouchers for people to use um, credit. And he educated them in the importance of dental hygiene. Right. If you clean Keep your, teeth, your you fucking mouth clean. Parker's mouth. This is a quote. Parker's most indisputable legacy to the field of dentistry is his contribution through his bad acts, charlatanism, <laughs> and relentless pursuit of profit. Hey, sometimes that's how things get done. To the development of pre- professional ethics in dentistry, said do- uh, Dr. Ahmed Ismail, who's the king, the king, the dean of Kornberg School of Dentistry, Temple University, which was like the school that gotcha. he went yeah. to. In 1948, a few years before Parker died, Bob Hope played a hapless dentist, Peter Painless Potter, alongside Jane Russell in the movie pale face pale? uh-huh he I've is seen that one. also mentioned by name in the captain beefheart song orange claw hammer excellent yes. there is a museum at temple university oh, where nice. you can see painless parker's tooth necklace and bucket of teeth i uh, i will see that <laughs> that's mm-hmm. horrifying and this is painless parker but we are not done yet because i have a little bit more to tell you about the history of dentistry Please. going back to what i learned in the bbc documentary um during World War II, RAF pilots would go up, and if they had, like, if you go up as a pilot, you experience something called tooth squeeze, hmm. which is the air pressure. Okay. And if you have any cracks or cavities, oh no. A full 5% of flights were canceled because so many pilots had fucked up teeth. Oh, God. So the military, the, mili- the British military only added dentists to their ranks at the st- well, after the start of World War One, because at the start of World War One there were no dentists in the military no. until some high ranking. That was the Boer War, but I mean, like oh. things only go. I mean, like, like inch forward, inch forward. It's until like a general or something got a toothache, and there were no Nobody dentists in the military. Him. So he had like a French civilian dentist come mm-hmm. fix him, and after that, he was like. He's like, we, there, so after like, right after that, there were like three dentists. And by the end of the war, there were like 80 dentists. military this, dentists. Yes. So uh, during World War II for the RAF pilots, the, mili- the army military hired women to train as what we now call hygienists. Mm. Part of their training was to, um, they had got, they got a block of wax. Yeah. And they had to sculpt teeth out of the, the wax, wax. okay, wow. to to build their de- dexterity. Oh, okay. Um, this is also a time, um, you know, b- before and after and around the war, where getting all of your teeth pulled and getting dentures was advertised as a great gift for a new bride. Yes. Oh or, God, that's you know, right. for a twenty first birthday present. Just, just get them all, get all out. out there. Get your dentures and get ready. So another part of the training for the hygienist was they would get. They called it a door handle, but it looks like a like a one of the old sort of curled cabinet door pulls. Okay, yeah, like not like a front door handle, but it no, looked like, but a, like a little a, cabinet a handle. Yeah. They would mount that to the head of the dentist chair, and the handle was covered in paint. And the women had to scrape every bit of paint off of this okay. door handle, and then they would repaint it, and they would do it over and That's over like and practicing. over again. And that was like the birth of preventative dentistry, huh. which wow. then... Scrape your teeth, yeah. Yeah, go in, and they would like teach you how to brush your teeth, mm-hmm. and that became part of the first National Health Service. Ooh. And 
at the beginning. I bet the fucking WI had something to do. Probably. <laughs> and at the beginning of that dentistry being part of national health mm-hmm. they it was like part of it but eventually it became like there the demand for dentistry was too much that eventually people had to pay uh, even yeah. though it was national yes health. they had even to now oh, wow. they have to pay uh-huh yeah. yeah, because dentistry is different. I don't know. Dentistry is different. But that is the birth of preventative that's dentistry. Really cool. and, and painless Parker. Oh, that's yeah. very interesting. Thank you. That's very interesting. So I got it. My information from the BBC documentary. There was an article on amusingplanet.com. There was a BBC article that was different. And um Wikipedia. Fantastic. So it's very fascinating. And yeah, I'm very like keep your teeth clean. It's I do. It's very important. I yes. have a yeah. I have a crown. I have two crowns mm-hmm. on either side. Um, one of which I got from like my nicer dentist, and mm-hmm. one of which I got from uh, you're not fucking Dental Depot, mm-hmm. which is really it's it's crude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's a big space mm. which is called. It's a food trap. It's a food trap. And yes, it is. It is a food trap. And if I eat any kind of like meat or chicken or steak, that's just like a huge like wad of it. <laughs> And then, so I floss my teeth constantly trying to keep that food fucking trap food trap clean. Untrapped. And it is. It is. I get just like a poppy seed between a tooth. I was like, I gotta go floss. Excuse me. Excuse me. People <laughs> think. Well, dentistry is important. It is not just, I mean, your teeth. Yeah. If you don't have any teeth, your like jaw bones will disintegrate. And your jaw bones your will disintegrate. Tooth rot is a brain damage. It's brain damage. It's, People die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was don't know what I was reading recently, but it was something. And it was talking about like, well, you know, you're great unless you like cut your hand or got a rotten tooth and then you could just die. And then yeah. you can just die. So at halftime, okay. uh, I'm pulling up the wagon. Okay. What's it? Brush I have my dental key. Teeth. Round and red. Brush it, brush it, brush Try the new antenna. <laughs> um, I went and got some of that red stuff. Disclosure um, tablets? Yes, yeah, the Our grandmother one. was a... She was a receptionist at a dentist's office. Uh-huh. And so we always got toothbrushes on our Christmas presents. And I remember the toothbrushes because they were the long, like, it would you would think they were made of Bakelite with yes. this fucking, like, rubber, rubber pointy, yeah, pointy tip, yes. tip at the end. Yeah. She would tape them to the top of our Christmas, Christmas presents. The floss nipple. The yes. floss nipple. And she always would have disclosure tablets that we would, like, chew on and be like, And I remember... Would just, like, look at you and just shake her head. I remember... Mom told me this that dad came out of the bath because there was only one fucking bathroom, bathroom at the house. cabin. Uh-huh. And dad came out and he's like, you know, I don't exactly mind the other kids using my toothbrush, but why do they got to use the disclosure tablet? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. So yes, let us know about your dental adventures, we know misadventures, dental stories, parties, from you. and dental circuses. <laughs> anytime that you've had nitrous oxide, just let us know. Party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. Teeth all the way into the end 
zone. He's shaking the bottle of cocaine soda all over everything. Oh, it's great. Where? You love to see it. You love to see it. And now it's, ladies and gentlemen, Rihanna. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you can follow that, okay. Yeah, no, what Throw a bucket of teeth in the air? No. no. <laughs> Dude, look, if anybody has a bucket of teeth, it's fucking Rihanna, okay? Uh-huh. Pulled this teeth myself. Riri has. Chris Brown's face. Thank you. There you go. A storage unit of teeth. Love it. Love it. That's why she rules. Under her umbrella. Umbrella. Yes. Who has the most impressive unit in all the Japans? Toshiro Mifune? Yes, that is the actual correct answer. Toshiro Mifune. The second runner up is William Adams, a.k.a. Miura Anjin. A.K.A. the true story behind Shogun. <laughs> oh, oh, my yes! God. Yes! Yes! Yes, yes indeed. Toshiro Mifune is the real Toshiro Mifune, yes. <laughs> he can get it. Right? Quite the piece. I've been working man. on this for a few weeks, and I've seen so much. <laughs> I know, right? I like the fact that also Toshiro Mifune like, is, falls in the, like, I as a lesbian would allow Toshiro like, Mifune to dude, get it. Dude, he is nice. I want to... Like what is like gangster period? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But even a, even the Storinaga, all of it. God, fuck yes, yes. Yeah, so sit, sit back and relax. <laughs> Atk has joined us at the halftime. She's gonna take a nap here. But yeah, okay. So <clears throat> William Adams was born on the twenty fourth of September, fifteen sixty four. Nice. He was an English navigator who, in sixteen hundreds, was the first Englishman to reach Japan under the leadership of Jacob Quaken Karnak. Pardon my Dutch. Nice. That's nice. Uh, His was the only surviving ship of a five-ship expedition launched by a Rotterdam company of the East India Company. He was an Englishman who sold a... Yes. Sailed a Dutch ship. An Englishman who sailed a Dutch ship. And the Dutch were so fucking awesome because they had the map makers. They had the map makers, exactly. And that's why the Dutch were able to, like, conquer early the world because they had the map makers. They had the map makers. Between uh, Holland and Portugal Mm -hmm. fucking ruled the world in this 1564 time. Hot times in the city. Uh, Also... Yeah, 1564, that was the year that Shakespeare was born. 1564 to 1616. I had that drilled into me, and it's an English major. So he was born the same year as Shakespeare. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Let's see. (laughs) Once they reached the Japans, uh, William Adams, Anjin-san, who I'll just call him that from now on, uh, he and the second mate, whose name was Jan Euston, were kept there in Japan, and they said, you are not allowed to leave back, while Jacob Quickernick and a man named Melchior von Santvoort were <laughs> permitted to take the ship back to the Dutch Republic to invite them to come and trade with Japan. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, except what the what? two of you? It's like, this is like a two-year journey. Yeah. And like the two of you are going to get on your like three-masted schooner. Giant-ass boat. It, like, it takes two people to sail a little sailboat on Lake Hefner. Right. right. Well, as we learned from Shogun, yes. the Japanese ships are close to the shore. They don't. They're not a seafaring people. They're they, not. They get in their water to go around the edges. They're not like, let's <laughs> go explore. So you could sail two people in a boat. Well, they thought Around so. the edges of Japan. <laughs> God bless Jacob and Melchior. Hope they enjoyed it. Oh, shit. Yeah, I understand a desire to go see something you've never seen before, but the seafaring life is, like, terrifying. It really so, is. Dude, seriously. Yeah, it's just like, well, I mean, like, the terror. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. Like, that book was great, but it's, which is not, I mean, it's not true, but it is true that those two ships sailed up there, and then they all died. Yeah. 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 So... 
here is what he had to say in a letter on the 22nd of October, 1611. I am a Kentish man born in a town called Gillingham, two English miles from Rochester, one miles from Chatham, where the king's ships lie. And from the age of 12 years, I was brought up to Limehouse near London and being apprenticed 12 years to one Master Nicholas Diggins and have served at the place of master and pilot on Her Majesty's ships. About 11 or 12 years, I have served the worshipful company of Barbary merchants until the Indian traffic from Holland began, in which case I was desirous to make a little experience of the small knowledge that God had given me. So in the year of our Lord God, 1598, I was hired for chief pilot of a fleet of five sailing ships made ready by the chief of the India Company, uh, Peter van der Haag. Mm -hmm. So that was what he said later about his early life. Mm -hmm. He was born, as he said, in Gillingham, Kent, England. And when he was 12, his dad died. And he was apprenticed to a shipyard master, Nicholas Diggins, at Mm -hmm. Limehouse. And spent the next 12 years learning shipbuilding, astronomy, and navigation. And then he entered the Royal Navy. Okay. England was at war with Spain. Yeah. Obviously. Because they were pissed. (laughs) And he served under the Royal Navy under Sir Francis Drake. Oh, okay. He fought in the Armada. Like, when the Spanish Armada. The Spanish Armada. Yes, when they attacked in 1588, he was on the Richard Diffleed, which was a resupply ship. Mm -hmm. So he actually fought against the Spanish Armada during the Spanish Spanish Armada. Armada. Damn. Uh, In August 1859, it is recorded that he married a woman named Mary Hine. Uh, and like the Golden Hine? No, it's H-Y-N. <laughs> that would be great. They had two Hinder. children, a son named John and a daughter named Deliverance. Okay. Uh, soon after, he became a pilot for the Barbary Company, and I know that the Barbary Coast is the northern coast of Africa, right down past Gibraltar. Okay. Yes, I do know that, because I pulled it out of my ass and impressed the hell out of some people during a Trivial Pursuit game one time. They and were like, she'll never get this. And I was like, the Barbary Coast. Or was it one of those where you like sort of vibrated and the answer just like came forward? Right. It's like, like nothing on earth will allow me to get this question wrong at this right. point. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. So he became a pilot for, pilot for the Barbary Company. During this servant, Jesuit sources claims that Jesuits. He took part in an expedition to the Arctic that lasted two years in search of a northeast passage along the coast of Siberia. Stop. With the Northeast Passages, guys, y'all. it's Quit. not going to work. I, no, for fucking, fuck's well, sake. Well, I guess when they go up there and die and they don't come back, I'm like, well, they must not have found it. That's right. Well, just the fact, it's like, we're surrounded on all sides by ice pack. We haven't moved in 12 months. But if we could get a little bit farther, we will reach the open polar sea. Which is, isn't. Like, what about you makes you think there's going to be open water somewhere? <laughs> It's like, like, you know that the ice happens because it's cold, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God damn it. So, yeah. Fuck. But then he was, thirty at 30, the age of 34, he shipped as a pilot major with a five-ship fleet, five fleet that uh, sailed from Rotterdam. His brother Thomas came with him. He did not make it. The uh, Dutch were allied with England at the time. They were both Protestant nations fighting against Spain. Uh-huh. So the, the Adams yes <laughs> papistry. The Adams brothers set sail from Texel, and I'm that's probably not correct. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, my Dutch is bad. On the hoop yeah, and yeah. joined uh, with the rest of the fleet. There were five ships: the hoop, the liefde, which means love or charity, the geloof, which means faith, 
the true, which means loyalty, and the build your budshap, which means good tidings. Okay. The fleet's original mission was to sail for the west coast of South America, where they would sell their cargo for silver and head to Japan only if that mission failed. In that case, they were supposed to get the silver in Japan, buy spices in the Moluccas, and head back to Europe. Mm-hmm. Sail through the Strait of Magellan to get there. Um, they had, as is famous in the book, a stolen Portuguese rudder. Right. Because they had the map makers, but only the Spanish and the Portuguese had been through the Strait of Magellan. And, and had, that's the direction. And that's how you get it. Right. And the rudder is like the diary. It's, oh, okay. The rudder thought, is a book uh, that the pilot keeps. I thought you meant like the rudder as in like oh, the, the steering rudder, mechanism. The yeah. rudder with like, two T's. Yeah, man. Something about that, that rudder, man. Portuguese that's rudders, like, man. They do them better. That's just like, that's how they get it. It's like the nitrous of yeah. the... <laughs> Fucking Magellan drift and shit. The original drifters that invented drifting in Japan. I mean, that's where drifting began. Coast of South America. But yeah, on top of this mountain, the first drifters. Yes. Their goal was to sail through the Straits of Magellan, get to their destiny. Uh, After leaving, uh, okay, wait a second. The Straits of Magellan are like that, like little bit between Spain. Oh, Chile, right? The Strait, the Straits of Gibraltar. Gibraltar, That's a little bit between Spain and Africa. The Straits of Magellan are at the bottom of South America. Yeah, if you go underneath it, then you're actually in the Arctic Circle. Right. Uh, The they also didn't know. You're yeah. like, maybe yeah, if I start sure. sailing past this piece of land, it'll go on for another year. No, sure. uh, it is also true that the Straits of Magellan are notoriously bad weather conditions. Right. And they, like, all five ships got there, and then one was like, we don't want to go yet. And then they ended up being stuck right there for eight months yeah. and, like, having to eat the oh. dogs and crap like that. No dogs. Yeah. But, um,. Uh, yeah, because it was really bad weather and you can only get through part of the time. Mm-hmm. So, yes, after leaving Goree on 27 June 1598, the ships sailed uh, and they when they got close to the shores of North, excuse me, North Africa, they realized that they had been too uh, generous in eating. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we've been eating too oh, much, so we got to eat no. less. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And August, they landed in Cape Verde in Africa and they needed water and fresh fruit. They stayed around three weeks, hoped to buy some goats. They occupied a Portuguese castle on top of a hill, but came back without any food. At a place called Brava, Cape Verde, half of the crew caught a fever, and many of them died. Oh, Jesus. Including the Admiral. God. <laughs> yes. Well. So they got to, uh, once they got to Gabon, uh, near Central Africa, they had scurvy and had to have a forced landing. <laughs> Sounds like you're doing a really great job. They stormed inland only to find that the Portuguese and their native allies had set fire to the village and run away rather than help them. Well, oh, wow. So there you go. So I they mean, that should their, tell you something. They I left feel the like. sick people ashore and recovered. They left early January. Uh, they starved a lot. Uh, they tried to eat leather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so this all this all tracks. Right in March 1599, yeah, yeah, they yeah. got to Argentina. Early April, they arrived at the Strait of Magellan, but it had unfavorable wind, and so they remained stuck for the next four months because the wind would not oh. turn, and they could not get 
through the pass. Good. I'm just sitting there. Under freezing temperatures and poor visibility, they caught penguins, seals, mussels, duck, and fish. 200 crew members died. Jesus. They sat there from March until August 23rd when the weather got better. Oh, God. Finally. Like, we're doing it, you guys. We're doing it. <laughs> this is going to be great. Gold. City's made of gold. As soon as we get there, Solid city's gold. made of gold. As soon as you get back to London, you'll buy a palace. Gold. Swear to God. Pick, pick up part of the DMV. Just, like, put it in your satchel. Uh, That's huh. it. That's it. You're set for life. So, when they finally got to the Pacific Ocean, there were only three ships left. The ships were caught in a storm, and they lost sight of each... Oh, no, they were all five together, but they immediately turned back. Okay. The loyalty and the believe were driven back into the strait. Uh, the Galoof returned to Rotterdam with only 36 of the original 109 men. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, the, a guy who ran one of the other ships named Decord offered a. Sm- he told his fleet to wait for four weeks near Chile, but some ships missed the Chilean island. They brought us sheep and potatoes, and we were. They did not die. Uh, in early November, the Hope landed on Mocha Island, where 27 people were killed. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, so like, yeah, don't let people in- invade you. No fucking shit. Uh huh. So during the voyage, before December 1908, Adams changed ships from his to one called the Liefde, which was originally named Erasmus, which is the name ah, of the book, in, the ship in the That's right, it is the name. The of rest it. of the crew were killed by the Portuguese on 1601. Oh, Jesus, God. Portugal. Uh, yeah. In fear of the Spanish and Portuguese, the remaining crews determined to leave this island, sail across the Pacific. So on 27th of November, 1599, the last two ships set off for the Japans. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, oh, uh, uh, and later during the voyage, a typhoon sunk the Hope. Okay, all good. Hands. Yes. I mean, so of course it Only did. the leaf, the, the Erasmus, Erasmus makes, makes it. it. So, April 1600, after more than 19 months at sea, Aries, a nice. crew of 23... <sighs> Sick and dying men out of over a hundred brought the Lifta to anchor off the island of Kyushu. Its cargo consisted of 11 tre- chests of trade goods, woolen cloth, which they do not want. Absolutely not. It's like, God. you can't even put it on a pig over here. Dude, they just like, what do we do with this? Glass beads, mirrors. Okay. Yeah, now you know what you're... Uh, guess what? Japan is not going to be impressed by your trinkets, okay? Okay. Yeah. Spectacles. Metal tools, weapons, nails, iron, hammer, 19 bronze cannon, 5,000 cannonballs, 500 muskets, 300 chain shot, and three chests filled with coats of mail. Armor. Uh-huh. Like chain mail? Chain mail. When the nine crew members who were strong enough to stand up, <laughs> stand up oh, no. made la- landfall on April 19th off of Bungo, which is present-day Oita Prefecture, please forgive my Japanese. Mm-hmm. They were met by Japanese locals and Portuguese Jesuits, <sighs> all who said Adam's Fucking. ship was a pirate vessel and you need to be executed right now. Jesuits. The ship was seized. The crew were imprisoned at Osaka Castle uh, by a man named Tokugawa Iesu, who is Toronaga. Mm-hmm. Toka- Tokugawa, the daimyo of Edo and the future shogun. 19 bronze cannon of the Lifta were unloaded and later used in a decisive battle, according to the Spanish. Uh-huh. Adams met Tokugawa in Osaka three times between May and June 1600. Questioned by him, then... Uh, 
who was a young son of the Tycho, the earlier guy. Mm-hmm. And Adam's knowledge of ships, shipbuilding, and uh, his nautical mathematics appealed to Tokugashi, who was like, this is information we don't have. Right. We can actually use. You're this, not a it's priest. It's like brand new information. Uh-huh. You're not a priest. You're not. This is brand new information. Christ, this yeah. is a different source. And Maybe you'll a, tell us different things. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to like cram Jesus. Right. On us. You're not here to convert us. Uh huh. And there weren't. They were not actually there to be pirates. They were no. really only on a. They were just trade trying mission. to fucking right. get there and trade shit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And also, it's just like, what the fuck is all of this shit? Also, if I'm going to be shogun, I need. I need to know everything. A leg up, motherfuckers. Oh. Maybe uh, like uh, uh, 500 uh, uh. cannonballs, 400 muskets, and 19 bronze cannon. Mm-hmm. All right. Anjin-san said this. Coming before the king, he viewed me well and seemed to be wonderfully favorable. He made many signs unto me, some of which I understood and some I did not. In the end, there came one that could speak Portuguese, and by him the king demanded of me of what land I was and what moved us to come to his land being so far off. I showed unto him the name of our country and that our land had long sought out the East Indies. We desired friendship with kings and potentates and merchandise, having in our land diverse commodities which you do not. Which is true. Which is true. Then he asked whether our countries had wars. I answered to him, yea, with Spaniards and Portugals, but we are being in peace with all other nations. Further, he asked me, what do I believe? I said, I believe in God that made heaven and earth. He asked me other diverse questions of religions and many other things, and asked what way we came into the country. Having a chart of the whole world, I showed him through the Strait of Magellan. Oh, that's right. Uh A map of the whole world. I can draw you. This is what everything else looks like. And he was like... Oh. Oh, relay, brother. At which he wondered and thought me to lie, but from one thing or another, I abode with him until midnight and we talked. Adams wrote that Tokugawa denied the Jesuits' requests for execution. Kill him now, now, now. Uh And he's like, I don't trust you fucking guys. I don't trust you fucking guys. Exactly. Was it? I don't care for William S. Burroughs, but he did say something like, never trust a religious son of a bitch. He's got God on his side telling him how to fuck you. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But he said... uh, uh, he denied the Jesuits' request for execution on the ground that, quote, we as yet had not done to him nor none of his land any harm or damage, and therefore it was against reason or justice to put us to death. Yeah. It's like, uh-huh. That's right. Like, hey, that's... The, the Jesuits are already fucking here, and they're fucking with shit constantly. And they're constantly. fucking with shit constantly. Like, and I cannot stand listening to them a minute longer. I don't longer. care for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want... It's like, w- wouldn't it be nice if I had another route to the rest of the world? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Oh, and he says, if our country had wars, the one with the other, that was no cause he should put us to death, which which they were out of heart that their cruel pretense had failed them. (laughs) Who who was? Uh, The Jesuits were mad that they're lying and like, kill him now. He's He's like, I have no reason to kill him. Why would they kill him? to me. And they're just like, But he's a, a sinner he's and a, a Protestant. He's he was a like, Protestant. He's, he's a nothing. heretic. He's a heretic. He's a heretic. And being Shut. a heretic means that we believe in the same God and also Jesus, but it's different. But it's different. Yeah, yeah. Right. And Tokugawa's just like, Bitch, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> That's like, we believe in like little spirits that live in the rocks and you okay. need to fuck off. So anyway, yeah. Okay, so they... 
uh, got the crew onto the Lifte, which they sailed it from, uh, sailed it to Yedo where it sank because it was just like old. It was like so beat Busted up, up and yeah. shit, yeah. In 1604, Tokugawa ordered Adams and his companions to help uh, the commander-in-chief, whatever they called it, of the Japanese Navy to build Japan's first Western-style ship. Mm-hmm. The sailing ship was built at the harbor of Ito, and carpenters from the harbor supplying the manpower. It was an 80-ton vessel. I am not going into any ship. This is not ship ships. So I was like, but, but shipbuilding... Like that. That's uh-huh. a whole thing. Is amazing. I mean, like, start with chopping down trees. Right, right. right. <laughs> so, yeah. You need to chop down some fucking trees. They all need to be th- the same, same length. length. Uh-huh. Oh, and now you need to bend them. Yeah. It's about framing them. And sh- it's, it's, like, it's astounding to me. It is. And then they're like, we're sailing to the fucking America. Right. Like, we're going to be on this ship for the next three years. I'm like, Jesus uh-huh. Christ. No, thank you. Dudes. Okay, so uh, da, da, da. it was used to survey the Japanese coast. The mm-hmm. shogun then ordered a larger ship of 120 tons to be filled, built, uh, slightly smaller than the Lifta. And according to Adams, Tokugawa, quote, came aboard to see it, and the sight whereof had, gave him great content. Mm-hmm. And following the construction... Because Tok- Japanese knows about fucking building shit out of wood. We know how <laughs> I to guess make... everyone did back but then, but still. all they had, but still. Whatever. <laughs> Well, th- he was uh, Tokugawa seemed to be interested in other ways of doing things for which good job mm-hmm. well it, he did become the following the construction then Tokugawa invited Adams to visit his palace whenever he liked and quote that I must always come in his presence so like after that they were pals yeah uh, other survivors of the Lifta were also rewarded with favors and allowed to pursue foreign trade. Most of them left Japan in 1605, but Jap- uh, Adams did not receive permission to leave until 1613, but did not leave. Yeah. He stayed there forever. Well, because he found that. There bathing? Were, and, there was bathing uh-huh. and, and right. then, like, light food. Yeah, it's like, I don't have to eat, like, a roast capon every time. Every I, fucking time. Yeah, there's like, a part in Shogun, ugh, it's so good, but there's a part. I know, have built in lots for us to just talk about Shogun. So okay, go good. Um, where he just thinks about going back to his wife uh-huh. and just thinks about how just disgusting. How dirty it, the house is. Dirty the house is. Yeah, it's like, and we're scratching our fleas and there's rushes on the floor with dog bones in them. And, and we're all in the same fucking bed. Sweaty beds. And meanwhile, uh, he's like, I'm sleeping on fucking silken sheets silken and taking sheets. a hot bath as... At like four times a day if I t- want to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I did uh, uh, talk about how they have to have the silks from China because it's just so hot and humid that there's no other way Silk, uh, yeah, uh-huh. silk. Japan has silver uh-huh. and, and China, China had, had silk. silk. And uh, yes, and it was hot and humid. Yeah. And, and in this book, and apparently in real life, they were like, there's all kinds of good stuff. And then there's this wool cloth. What the fuck? It's like, right. No, not even in the winter do we need this. <laughs> no. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Put it on the floor, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. But Set then, it on fire? Shit, I don't even not? know. It burns for days. Shit. <laughs> In 1609, Adams contacted the interim governor of the Philippines on behalf of Tokugawa and one and said, "Can you? Uh, he would like to make trade with you." Mm-hmm. Friendly letters were exchanged, which was the official start of relations between Japan and New Spain, which was the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Tokugawa liked Adams. He liked him and appointed him a diplomat and trade advisor and bestowed great privileges upon him. Ultimately, Adams became his personal advisor on all things related to Western powers and civilization. After a few years, Adams replaced Jesuit Padre Joao Rodriguez Hell yeah, dog. Yeah. as the official interpreter. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Padre Valentin Carvalho, pardon my Portuguese, Gaysha. wrote, quote, after he had learned the language, he had access to Kokogawa and entered the palace at any time. He's like, I can speak their language now and they don't actually like you, so there you go. Yeah. Well, you're Turns here to advise me on the West asshole. and not trying to teach me about fucking Jesus. Jesus. Right. You're not here to control me and change my way of thinking and change my country. Yeah. You're just here to be like, how do I build a ship? What's yeah. it like in France? Uh-huh. Yeah. Turns out here's he- he's here to talk to me about things that I actually exists and so? to me mm-hmm. yeah like like we said adams had a wife named mary hine back and two children back in england but tokugawa forbade him to ever leave japan he was given two swords to and became a samurai mm-hmm. and the shogun decreed that william adams the pilot was dead and miura anjin a samurai was born <gasps> anjin-san. Anjin-san. but aaron what's the hidden insult in anjin san the hidden insult in anjin san is at the very beginning of Shogun, when he is kind of like integrated a little bit, yeah, into there's a few people that he speaks Portuguese and Latin, Latin and uh, English and English and Dutch and Dutch. Um, and he's able to find some people that speak Portuguese, and he's able to find some people who speak Portuguese, and he asks about the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Na- what's their yeah, name? What's, a, what, what's this person's name? What's this person's na- name? And they say he doesn't have a name. His, his name's name, Gardner. His name is Gardner. His name is pro- profession. Uh-huh. His, his name, name is, is Gardner. Gardner. Because the because the lower classes, they don't have names. They don't have they names. They have their professions. They have their professions. But Anjin means pilot. Uh-huh. So we're going to call Blue you Anjin-san. Anjin-san. Which is pilot. Which is not You your don't name. have a real it's name. Your it's your job. And he's like, well, wow. thank you. Anjin-san. So it was basically like, hey, uh, Nightman at, Clark- at Casey's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they add the son. They added the Mi- son, and he so had yeah. the Shogun sword. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Like, like Mr. Mr. Arcade Token Guy. Yes, right. Mr. Arcade Token Guy. So, uh, so uh, according to the Shogun, him being... William Adams, the pilot, being dead, and Miura Anjin, the samurai, was born. This freed him to serve the Shogun permanently. His wife in England was now a widow. Thanks, she says. I know. Maybe she's like, fine, I guess. Well, he did, it did say that while he never left Japan again, he did establish trade routes and he sent money back to her regularly with other ships. Well, that's good because they were married under Christ Lord. That's true. And back in the day. And, and it's also, it's from what I read and learned. It wasn't like he begged constantly to go. It's like they just, he's like, no, you live here now. And he was like, all right. So, he's like, but I need to send money back home. Yeah, it's like, I do have a family. And then he's, Toronaga's like, Tor- excuse Tokugawa is like, great, but you're not leaving. So. <clears throat> but he was making fat bang. Oh, yes. He was given the title of Hatamoto. Hot. A high prestige uh, position. It means he was a hottest one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Hatamoto. <laughs> and given generous revenues, quote, for the services I have done and do daily, being employed in the emperor's service, he has given me a living. He was given a fief, 
which is in the pre- boundaries of present day Yokosuka City. I, one of the things I watched was a guy, like an American guy who lives in Tokyo and just has YouTube stuff of stuff you can see in Tokyo. And mm-hmm. I watched him go down this little big street, small street, back alley to a stone that was like, this is where Anjin san's house oh, used to nice. be. Yeah, you can still go and find it. Uh, let's see. He finally wrote, God hath provided for me after my great misery, by which he meant the disaster-ridden voyage that had brought him to Japan. Yeah. Uh, his estate was located next to the harbor of Uraga, the uh, po- traditional point of entrance to Yedo. Yedo, which is now Tokyo. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Yedo is now Tokyo. So he's like living right by Tokyo Bay. Uh, and he dealt with the cargoes of foreign ships. He's the one who taught when the people showed up. He mm-hmm. would go out and meet them like, hey, hi. The Western ships. I'm, yeah. It's like, hi, you want to talk to the head guy? You talk to me. I'm his dude. Mm-hmm. Despite being married in England, he married a local woman named Oyuki, who was not of noble birth nor high social standing, which some people say means he married for love. Who knows? He had. I hope so. Yes. They had two children, Joseph and Susanna. He traveled for work, tried to organize an expedition for a search of the Arctic Passage, which had eluded him previously. Will y'all stop looking Japan for Arctic Passage? Japan was like, no. Like, you don't, like, dude, what do you need? It's not real, okay? Why it's do you need to get. Real. You're already in the Orient. Right. Isn't that what the Arctic Passage Isn't that why you were for? Yeah, but it was so shitty when we got here. It's like, <laughs> it will not improve. No. That's really cold up there, it's so. Uh, so cold. Y'all have no idea. Adams had a high regard for Japan, its people, and its civilization. Here is another quote from his letters. Mm -hmm. The people of this land of Japan are of good nature, courteous above measure, and valiant in war. Their justice is severely executed without any partiality upon transgressors of the law. That's what happens when you don't believe in Christian God. That is 1,000% what happens when (laughs) people... It's like, in 40 days, they'll be reborn samurai, or be reborn anyway, so it doesn't matter that... But punish... If Brian broke a law... That meant that they would execute Brian and you and Henry and me and mm-hmm. Alice and Matt and his family mm-hmm. and mom and David and because yeah. all the generations. And you know what? That's a, that's a reason to stay in line. You know what? <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they say executed along with all of their generations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, like every living member of the you, family. I'm killing every member of your family. Yeah. <sighs> with... They are governed in great civility. Insane swords. I mean, that's like yeah. I don't know what the the like the state of the English sword was at that time. It was like more, a lot pig ironier than this. It, right, yeah, it was like trying to bust. I, just, I watched armor and shit. It, it wasn't as sharp, but it was more durable. The it English was, one. Yeah. Yeah. The, no. the, yeah. They. They. Yeah, right, if exactly, I can't yes. slice you with it, I can bash your skull in with right. it. Yeah, uh-huh. I can hit you enough times to where it doesn't matter. Where it doesn't right. matter, right? But the Japanese samurai sword is fucking whisper sharp. Let me tell you, <laughs> yeah. it's just like throw up a scarf and cut it in half. Exactly, That's it. exactly. Uh, continuing, he says they are governed in great civility. I mean, not a band better governed with civil policy. <laughs> Yeah, like, no, 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 Constantly no. in fear of getting your head chopped off. <laughs> this is the thing. Yeah. You don't need a god to fear here. You can you, fear me. I will cut why, your head off. Because I will cut your fucking head off. Why not fear me instead? The people be very superstitious in their religion and are of diverse opinions. Well, that's true everywhere. Well, yeah, that's religion. After 15 years in Japan, Adams had a difficult time relating to the new English arrivals. I fucking bet. And God. would initially 
shun their companies. Like, I don't want to talk to you. Because uh, you're filthy and stink. Because you're filthy and smell. Yes. Uh, English sailors in 1613... Oh, he shunned the company of newly arrived sailors in 1613 and could not get on terms with them at all. But um, a man named Richard Co- Dick Cox. Hi. <laughs> 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 oh, my yes. God. Is he the biggest unit in Japan? No. <laughs> it's Tashiro Mifune. It's Tashiro Mifune. He came to appreciate Adam's character and his what he acquired of, quote, Japanese self-control. Uh-huh. In a letter to the East India Company, Cox wrote, I find the man tractable and willing to do your worship's best service he may. I'm persuaded I could live with him seven years before any extraordinary speeches should happen between us. Just the seven? Well, <laughs> seven year itch, I guess. Right. You know. Adams died at Hirado, north of Nagasaki, on May 16th, uh, 1620 at the age of 55 He was buried in Nagasaki Where you can still see his grave Which is like Is 55 older than he would have been in England? Possibly Because he was Maybe. just a big clean He didn't yeah. die of tooth decay Right Let me tell yeah. you Or like any of the like Myriad poop diseases poop, Yeah it's just like gout. Shit in the sheet It's, it's just like yeah. We We drink Cholera like and heavy gout. beer and meat Uh huh And like And we all die of like gout and shit like mm-hmm. that Yeah Heart disease uh, in his will, he left his townhouse in Yedo, his fief in Hemi, and 500 British pounds to be divided between his families in England and Japan. Oh, wow. Dick Cox wrote, I cannot, be sorrow- cannot but be sorrowful for the loss of such a man as Captain William Adams, he having been in such favor with two emperors of Japan as never any Christian in these parts of the world. That is so fucking true, because I don't... I mean, are we getting to get get into this discussion later as to when Japan sort of officially opened itself Go up for to it, the because West? Because they did this and then they closed again. Yeah, and they were like, you know what? No, no. And it wasn't until what's his name showed up later. Yeah. Uh, no. You know what? No. We liked Bobby, but Bobby died. So yeah, you know so what? Fuck you. Nobody else. You're not Bobby. Here. None of you are Bobby. <laughs> Brian, honey, <laughs> he's not Bobby. I'm just saying. This uh, is not far from the truth. There is a town in Yedo, which is modern Tokyo, called Anjincho, <gasps> which was named for Adams, and his house uh, was there. Aww. It's uh, Now it's not called Anjincho anymore, but it was named called that for mm-hmm. a while. Uh, there's a village and a railroad station in his fiefdom that are named for him. In the city of Ito, the Miura Anjin Festival is held every year on August 10th. Oh my god! Really? Like, for, like for him? Yeah, kind of? it's like Anjin Fest. Oh my I god! Would it. Like Richard Chamberlain better go every goddamn year. That's He'd all I have to say. Better on the seafront so. is a monument to him. Uh, with a plaque inscribed with a poem to the citizens of Ito, which commemorates Adam's achievement. His birth town of Gillingham has had a Will Adams festival every September since the year 2000. <laughs> and Ito and Yosu- uh, Yokosuka are sister cities of Gillingham. Oh, you know nice. Yeah. yeah. A monument to Adams was installed in Watling Street, Gillingham, Kent. Uh, and I'm going to have to go see it at some Kent, point. Yeah. Twistable Gillingham, Kent. Different. Uh, and there's a roundabout. <laughs> maybe um, Will Adams Roundabout. Yes. Nice. Gillingham, and it has a Japanese theme. <laughs> also, in Gillingham, there are two towns called, or two streets called Ito Way and Yokosoka Way. Nice. And his townhouse still exists in Hirado. It's currently a sweet shop, and that's the one that the guy went to. Oh, and wow. And it's oh. known as Anjin's house. 
There is, of course, a book. Yes. Written by James Clavell. And now we're going to have a tiny James Clavell sidebar. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, we are James Clavell, James Clavell. Finally. Yeah. James Clavell, who was born Charles Edmund Dumaresque Clavell on the 10th of October, 1921, was an Australian-born Brit who was later naturalized as an American. Okay. He lived lived the end of his life in America. Which is a triple whammy. He was a writer, screenwriter, director, World War II veteran, and prisoner of war. Oh. He is best known as the author of the Asian Saga, mm-hmm. which were all of the shogun's Guy Jin, yeah. Whirlwind, Whirlwind, King Rat. Uh-huh. That's the one about the King Ralph? Camp. King Rat. Not I King know. Ralph. The one about the prisoner of war camp. I started to read King Rat. I think I could finish reading King Rat. Yeah, that's the I only t- one I would like to. I tried to read the other ones, but they... After Shogun, they just turned into more about the Dutch East Indies. Yeah, and then it's about like businessmen who live in Shanghai. And I'm like, I don't care about you. No, but I did read. I think actually the reason that I stopped reading King Rat is mm-hmm. just because I got really disturbed because um, they were in the POW camp and then they st- started like breeding like fighting rats in the floorboard uh-huh. and it just got really gruesome. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can't anymore. Uh, so, yes, his all of his Asian sagas, several of them have had TV adaptations. Mm-hmm. He also wrote the screenplays for The Fly. The original what? one? The original Fly. He also wrote the screenplay for The Great Escape, which is an amazing movie that I love The Great Escape. Oh, shit. Steve McQueen and James Garner and yes. Noel the fucking hell? Howard. Yes. And he it's also, like a heist movie. It is a heist movie. But the heist is the escape. Um, 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 plays a... Uh, shit. Harry Morgan. No, you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. he, he plays a Russian in this one, and his, he was in... Oh, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. He's a white guy. What's he in? Uh, Ernest Borgnine? No. no. We have to, I mean, he was in... It's not Walking Tall. It's a series. Mitchell? No. No. It's not him. It's a series of. Joe Don Baker. I win. Joe Don Baker, the secret star. Let's, of the just, say, let's just say it's, it's Joe Don Baker. Baker. Okay, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, I'll find it's, it out in a minute. No, it that. was a bunch of movies about a guy whose wife was family was killed and he goes to avenge them. And I can't remember his Dirty name. Dirty Harry. Yeah. No. I'll think of it. Clint Eastwood. No. Kimmon's looking it up. Okay, look it up for me. Thank you. I don't know if she was actually going to look it She's up, but she picked up her phone. That's my baby. <laughs> Uh, and he also wrote and directed <laughs> To Sir With Love. <gasps> what? Whoa, Starring fucking Sidney Poitier. Yeah. And Lulu. So school girl days. Lulu, sweeties. Telling <laughs> tales and biting nails of dawn. To Sir With Love. Yeah. What? Amazing. I know. Well, in Fort, we're skipping back a little bit because in 1940, he joined the Royal Artillery. Mm-hmm. And even though he chained, trained for desert service, after Pearl Harbor, he was sent to Singapore to fight the Japanese. Oh, God. Yeah, the man. ship taking his unit there was sunk en route to Singapore, and the survivors were picked up by a Dutch boat fleeing to India. Holy shit. Whoa. So he had like a personal World War II Shogun experience. Baby, we're not there yet. Hang on. Oh, God. The commander, who was described by Clavel years later as, quote, a total twit, <laughs> insisted that he dropped off at the nearest point because they're soldiers and need to get fighting. So, um... 
the they were picked out of the water, nice, and then dropped off at the local, like the nearest land, so that they could get fighting. That she like was a terrible idea. Almost immediately shot in the face and captured. He was sent oh, to God. a prisoner of war camp on Java oh, and Jesus. was later transferred to Changi Prison in Singapore, which has its own Wikipedia page. Oh, God. Oh, so no. he was actually put in a shit, shit. and fish head pit. Yes. Yes, just he like was. in Shogun, and breeding rats. Breeding, yes. yes. In 1981, Clavel said, "Tongi became my university instead of my prison." Among the inmates, there were experts in all walks of life, the high roads and the low roads. I studied and absorbed everything I could from physics to counterfeiting. But most of all, I learned the most important course of all, the art of surviving. Yeah. Prisoners were fed a quarter pound of rice a day, one egg per week, and occasional vegetables. Jesus. Clavel believes that if they had not dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, he would have died. <laughs> he did not talk about his wartime experiences with anyone, including his wife, for 15 years. And then he channeled it into a series the of books. amazing novels. For a while, he would carry a can of sardines in his pockets at all times and fought the urge to dig through trash cans and eat food. I remember reading that. Yes. That, like, tra- like if he would see somebody, like, that's a whole bag of chips. You threw the right. whole bag of chips and I... Damn it. And he'd have yeah. to stop him from eating them. Stop yes. from eating them. I do remember reading that, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, he also experienced bad dreams and a nervous stomach, which came As may amazing. Can't imagine. I read a lot about the prison camp and damn. Mm. I read a list of other notables who'd been prisoned there and my favorite was a man named Sidney Piddington, a post-war Australian mentalist. <gasps> Entertainer with his wife, Leslie. Oh, shit. The Piddingtons was an ABC and BBC radio and stage mind-reading team who had developed his verbal code while he was a prisoner. So it's the sort of thing like, Aaron, you're my assistant. Uh I'm blindfolded. You circulate in the crowd, Mm -hmm. and Brian gives you his... Watch right, and you're like, and you, and it's what you say. Here in my hand, I am holding an object, and you and I know that if the sentence starts with here, it's a watch. Oh, so, yeah. Say, I have here wow. something. It's like, oh, that's glasses because uh, I. It's the, way you the code. Speak. Yeah, code. he developed that code while in the prison camp because you have to speak to each other in fucking code, uh-huh. and you have a lot of free time, and you have a lot of free. Time. It's like the it's like the Vietnam POW like tap code yes. A B C D. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So that's it. that was another person in the code. Yeah. In 1963, he became a naturalized citizen of the U.S. He. <laughs> Clavel admired Ayn Rand and sent a copy of Noble House inscribed, this is for Ayn Rand, one of the real true talents on this earth. Many thanks, James C. Well, you know. Yeah. Okay, here I just wrote, talk about the miniseries, (laughs) especially Mufune and Chamberlain, the hottest of sluts. Dude. I love the 80s for being unable to not impact their surroundings no matter how hard they try. In the 80s, they did their fucking best. Uh-huh. And it was still 80s. The Shogun miniseries, which I watched live, and it, like when it came out, you I still have my DVDs. It. I still have your DVDs. I watched them. Did, oh, did you watch them for this? Hello. Amazing. Um, Brian got those for me for so like nice. a holiday. I'm like, maybe I was just feeling uh-huh. bad. Yeah, I think oh. it was that second thing. Did you pull up the IMDb of The Great Escape? Because I need to find out his name. Yeah, keep going. Okay. It's probably Leslie Nielsen. It's not. <laughs> 
if this miniseries were shows remade up today, there would be a whole separate series that you could watch about how flawlessly every bit of clothing was recreated or sourced from actual antiquity. Right. How extras volunteered to have their teeth pulled for authenticity. But in this one, everyone's wearing a polyester kimono and a bald cap. Uh, yeah, the, the bald cap yeah. visible. Visible line. What? The thing about after reading the book and then seeing the miniseries and this was because there is a there are four DVDs of the miniseries right. and then there's a fifth DVD on the making, making of Shogun, yeah. Shogun which is like amazing yes, it was like yes. that making of um, Dark Crystal which oh, like yeah. that's like a yeah. whole show I want to watch that God, seriously yeah um and I don't know if it was in that whole making of thing, but it was a logical choice, a logical, uh-huh. a definite choice by the producers to um, not tell any of the Japanese side of the story. Yes. You, it is, you arrive in it like he does. The Japanese actors aren't even su- fucking subtitled. They're not even subtitled. Toronaga has Orson Welles narrating what he's saying. What, because he's like the lead. Because he's, you need him. Which, which really... <laughs> does leave a huge chunk of the story yes. out because at the end there's like all of the things that are happening like when like Yabu-san yes, is all that other it's stuff just like crazy and even though it was a week long they still couldn't cram all the they story into, cram it. All into it and then the fucking thing with like the fucking falcons oh, and like Marco it's oh, just I know. it says in this one uh it's so slow and I know that's a product <laughs> of our time yeah that we have sped up our mi- our our media uh-huh but it was hard sometimes. The last eight minutes of the whole thing is an eight-minute voiceover uh-huh. of Toronaga looking at stuff, thinking about Anjinsan, looking at stuff, thinking, watching Richard Chamberlain walk around, uh, look at blueprints, pat pieces of wood, and smile. Eight minutes. Mm-hmm. No action, no dialogue. Deciding to commit himself to the good and the beautiful. Right. It's just, go, and it's like, mm. But it was, a, okay, so. Yes, go ahead, go ahead. The most beautiful thing. Yes. About the book Shogun. Yes. Is you, the one, the me one, or you, or the one. Listening. I mean, like, you the reader. Okay. You, and you think about when the book came out. Uh-huh. And you're like, this is like, men in the book of the month club yes. are reading this book we've always said that shogun is the ultimate man yes. bodice ripper it is the male bodice ripper there are what what women get from romance novels men get from shit like this in james bond uh huh i mean it even has everything the beautiful woman that he loves but she dies and then he has to marry the prostitute right uh-huh. exactly but yeah. she's hot too yeah. a lot of things i like confidential um, well, fucking Casablanca. Everything. I mean, she's not a prostitute in Casablanca, but like the old, right. I think men love Casablanca because like he loves her so fucking much. That he lets her go. That he lets her go. So he can keep owning his bar. Hey. Right. That's, that's, yeah. I did love her. Come here, babe. Bye. Um, yeah. Is it you think, is Westerner reading this book that fucking Anjan-san at the end? Mm-hmm. Is is he's gonna go back? He's yeah. gonna rebuild a ship, and he's, he's gonna, gonna go back, back to his wife. Nope. And it turns out in the end, nope. no, because it turns out Toranaga has played right. them all. Toranaga beat you all, including you, Anjinsan. <laughs> right? His ship burns, and later Toranaga's like, "Yeah, I had to set it on fire, and I'll do it again. <laughs> I'll do it again." And he's like standing on a cliff, like watching his fucking falcons and stuff. Uh-huh. And he's like looking down at uh, Anjinsan rebuilding his boat. He's like, "You do that, but." You're, You're never, never gonna, gonna leave, leave here. Mm-hmm. I need you here for me. Thank you. It's so good. Your name is Anjan-san. That's why. Tashira Mufune. 
The hottest slut of them all. <laughs> but I hear you, Aaron. Okay, God, okay. Like. But I, want you, I know what you really want to know is, did anybody make a video game out of this? And the answer is yes. That's right. What? There are yes. a number of walkthroughs available on YouTube. Thank you, YouTube, for doing the Lord's work. It is a text-based game for Apple II. Oh, shit. And after many minutes of the files loading... It asks you to enter the letter for the pointing device you'll be using. M for mouse, J for joystick, or N for neither. Um, You're then... What what is neither? That's the arrows on the keyboard, I assume. Yeah, yeah. You are then prompted to turn the disc over to side two, reinsert, and hit return. I'm not a gamer, but I have seen and remember people playing these kinds of games. Oh, yeah. There's a static pixel pick of a three-masted ship, and many... Many, many paragraphs of how you're a pilot on the Dutch ship. Quote, the ship heals from a sudden squall, throwing you from your post at the wheel, which uncontrolled begins to turn to point, turn to port. Then you have to type straighten the wheel and hit enter. Oh, my God. Then it says the wheel straightens. Then there are more paragraphs which are directly from the book. Then you're supposed to type lash the wheel for the story to continue. How do you guess this? You know, I'm... I'm Tell me, Brian. These are like the first two pages of a seven, 800-page book. <laughs> so, um, as someone who uh, I may have actually been the key demographic... I, that's why I'm hoping for, for this book, here, so... Because, like, we had Apple IIe's uh, in the classroom uh, when I was in uh, starting in elementary and going through middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, um... So the answer to that is you type fuck you. Okay. <laughs> Brian. And the the computer says back to you, I don't understand the word you. <laughs> that is what I can tell you okay. about okay. how the game is played. At what point you say examine crucifix? Did that just spring organically to your mind? <sighs> At no, what point? no, like, like, what sprung to people's mind at that point was like, remove disc and like play Load Runner instead. What there, what there is with this is a fucking booklet. Oh, that you just read along. And yeah, it's, okay. it's it's a fu- like I remember me and Sarah Kingsley playing yes. like the Turbo first version of Where in the World Is Carmen, Carmen San Diego, <laughs> and it came with an almanac. I re- yes, it did. I remember playing a text sure based version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh-huh. on that same computer. On with that Jesse. same. And it yeah. comes. It comes with the book. That kind of tell, now tell it to examine crucifix. Yeah, it's like here's your of floppy course. disk. Uh huh. And it com- it comes with yeah. Well, here's your like thirty eight floppy disks. Yeah, because like each one of them held like four k. Okay. At least um, at one point. Anjin San's character goes into his room and writes for a while. Or Great. we read a paragraph about how he's doing. <laughs> Close sea chest. The sea chest is closed. Lock sea chest. The sea chest is locked. This is fucking gripping. And you can Isn't see it? that if but then statements on your computer screen. The if then statements are whirling around those four rams in the yeah. brain. Also, <laughs> there was a musical. <laughs> Shogun the musical with a book and lyrics by John Driver and music by Paul Chihara. Clavel himself initiated the project in 1982. It remained in limbo for more than eight years until he finally forked out the money to have it done. Oh, my God. Amanda, one night only. We have tickets. We can only go to one. Is it the Shogun musical or is it the Lestat musical? It's It's Shogun. (laughs) 
just wait. Um, uh, compressing the 12 hour, it's like it took 12 hours to tell it on the television, uh-huh. but to do it on the stage. Well, no fucking shit. Let's see. Uh, the production opened at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. It had a, it had a cast of... Kennedy Center, really? 38 <laughs> characters, 300 costumes, an entirely sung libretto, and a three and a half hour running time. Oh, my God. Critics and audiences alike had a difficulty following the plot. And well, it was, you should have watched the show first. You, you can't read the come book. to the Shogun musical without, like, already knowing who these people are. Yeah, they decided to cut a lot of the music and put in some actual dialogue. What? Yeah. It was all in Japanese, though. <laughs> a revamped, considerably shorter show arrived in New York City. Um, at the press preview before opening night, the main guy was struck by a piece of scenery nice performance ended but his injuries were minor and they like just made him go back out and finish the show <laughs> after 18 previews the broadway production uh, opened on november 20th 1990 the marquee theater where it ran for 72 performances that many that's not wow no. i mean no. it's not six right <laughs> you know. fight a detailed plot synopsis in the playbill. Audiences were confused by the action. Yeah. It's an 800-page book. The, the special effects and costumes were impressive. On stage, they had a shipwreck, an earthquake, and a battle on horseback in a snowstorm. That's fucking cool. Yes, and that part was great. But the score was weak. There was more dance than there should have been. <laughs> uh, Whereas the only dance that should be there is Anjan Sa singing a song about the bar debris sailors. Right, teaching him the, the hornpipe. The hornpipe, that's uh, right. Japanese visitors kept the show running for two more months, but the Persian, war, Persian Gulf War broke out, tourism dropped, and the production closed. Ding, dang it! I have a list of the songs. Act one, the songs are Karma, Night of the Screams, this is Samurai. This, I don't know. It's called This is Samurai. <laughs> I know the Night of the Screams. <laughs> How Nice to See You, Impossible Eyes, He Let Me Live, a song that's just called Hanto, which means truth. <laughs> yeah. No Word for Love, uh, Born to Be Together, Act Two, Fireflies, Pillowing, Born oh. to Be Together, Reprise. Boys Will Be Together, Reprise. Born to Be oh, Together. Okay. Poetry competition. One candle. Ninja raid. Dude, one candle reprise. Wait a minute. Because I remember the poetry competition. And it is a touch. Marco's always winning. Marco is always winning. Ah, always there's always a rap battle always a rap battle I found there's it. one called it's in God's hands now That's we're it. in God's hands now I found there's it. one called mate sucker That's good. <laughs> all I could find on YouTube was a 30 second TV commercial oh for the, god but you should watch it cause wow oh shit and I wrote to my I have I have Broadway friends my friends in the uh, rain. that's oh, right my. Bill and Bruce who uh, like Bruce goes to see everything they well, live yeah. in new york he goes to see everything so i wrote him and i was like hey out of left field did you ever see this what were your impressions and he wrote back yes we had seen it it did not make an impression oh wow <laughs> and that is the story of anjin san the re- william adams the real story behind shogun snap 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 Damn. snap 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 I had a really good time researching this oh, okay i'm right, just yeah. like i want to tell you guys tell i me. have already chosen oh. my next 
thing. Excellent. And Life of Tashira Mifune. Is it an interview with my mom about why we had to watch Shogun every time it came on? <laughs> it's actually, you're right. I'm going to personally hold hands with Mary Byrne, my mother-in-law. Uh, talk about Thornbirds. And talk about the Thornbirds and... And Shogun. And Shogun. And what I'm about also, Centennial? I'm also Probably, yes. Giving also. a shout-out to my mother-in-law, Mary Byrne, uh-huh. who... Is totally rooting for Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I have He's to say, so creative. When I lived in London and read long books on the subway, uh-huh. I read The Thornbirds, I reread Shogun, and then I tried to read Centennial, but it was I couldn't get into the past. The beginning of the book is a guy who's going to Colorado to research this book, mm-hmm. and there were seriously like three pages about Coors beer. And I'm Dude, just like, what? Seriously, what? seriously? It's like, no. Reading, he knew Stephen King. He, no, he he's Stephen trying King. to, it's like reading his research notes, and I could never get to the part. I just remember uh, uh, King Richard, who made all of the miniseries, was in. Richard Chamberlain. Richard Chamberlain. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I will say this. He's what they call man pretty. He, oh, he, he is. is. His book is fucking scorching hot. Have you seen him as Dr. Kildare? Yes! Like boner jams for days. His autobio is great. <laughs> I will say this about the Thornbirds. Yes. Two words, Barbara Stanwyck. It, the, <laughs> I read the Thornbirds like not very long ago because okay. I hadn't read it and the Thornbirds pissed me off. I mean, oh. like, I can see, like, I mean, it just irritated the fuck out of me because they were, like, fucking, like, Jancy LaRue or uh, whoever. The daughter. The, the yeah, lady. Like, she came to the best Shakespearean <laughs> actor in the world. And no, no, not her at okay. the end. Like, the whole story who's, like, fucking the priest. Oh, yeah. It's a bullshit book because it's written in, like, heightened fucking tragedy. Yes. But nothing bad ever happens to her i'm also reading gone with the wind right. currently where there's like legit she, suffering happen to her bad things happen to her but in the Thornbirds, she's just like i married this guy and he was like terribly abusive but he like left me alone and then i it was just like yeah it's just like, like thank goodness her, it's bullshit yeah, meh. anyway well i could also never get over because he's the hot 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 hottie and his name is ralph and i'm sorry ralph. people name ralph but that's a name that hasn't like at least in America, Third. it's just like a name. So it's like hot, sexy father Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not even Richard Chamberlain can save this. God. Apparently, Mary Byrne disagrees. <laughs> See, and you know, I what? think she was probably just willing to look past it. You know, it's, yeah, he's pretty foxy. It's just straight. He's he still is blistering hot. Blistering is he still alive? He's still alive. He's still gay. He lives in Hawaii. <laughs> this Fuck yeah, yes. motherfucker. The only thing that was wrong with his memoir is. I'm okay. It's thin. It's thin, and it's thin because it was before he came out. No, it wasn't. It was not before he came out. Because uh, I got it free when I was still doing Stonewall books, so, oh, I, yeah, so yeah, I got yeah. it. The problem, oh. the, the thin part about it is that he only tells us about his life, and it's like so. It's like, and then I was cast on Doctor Kildare. Next chapter after Doctor Kildare was over, and you're like, dude, I want stories from the set. Okay, and he doesn't tell any stories from any sets. It's like I want to hear about your career too. You don't have to trash people, but like one time Tashira Mifune, I know, you know, right? brought me some chicken or something. I don't he's, know. Well, like the thing about he's probably just like. Has been so hot his whole life that yeah. he feels like like whatever, whatever. he exactly. gives is like gonna be enough. Slipper in the rose. He's in that. It's that's a Cinderella. It's a Cinderella so story. Hot. He's so hot. <sighs> but yeah, there you go. That is the story of Shogun, and it's fantastic. And tomorrow's the Super Bowl. And uh, <laughs> was it my 
friend said uh, his rap that he made up at a party one time that I was at at their house near a synagogue was we're here across the street from the Jews in our Levi's button fly 501 blues because there was a 501 <laughs> jeans ad at the time where like sad white men were rapping about things that they were doing in their 501 blues <laughs> I remember that was Dave's contribution Yay! so we're gonna leave Dave! it there. R.I.P. Dave. All right. We love you guys and we're so glad to be back. We'll see you pretty soon. Madness Madness is hosted by Aaron Byrne and Amanda Clay with occasional outbursts from Brian Byrne, who is me. Brian Byrne records and edits the show. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please, if you enjoy the show, uh, rate us and leave a review. Leaving reviews helps people find the show. And the more people listen to the show, the more people you'll have to talk about the show with. I mean, just mull that over. You can also listen to us online at madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can find links to our social media on madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can email us your thoughts about stuff at madnessmadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.